Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's a memorial episode, because we are marking the passing of the legendary Scottish actor, Sir Sean Connery, who brought us such iconic roles as James Bond, Indiana Jones's dad, and... That guy from Highlander, as well as many other other films, uh, he did. He he was in a lot of films. He was so iconic. Anyone can do this slightly terrible impersonation, and you know exactly who they're talking about. So we thought we'd mark his passing by looking at one of the films from his career. The film that we've chosen is one from towards the end of his acting career. It is two thousands Finding Forrester. Joining me, as always, we have two guests, someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it is future doctor Chris Buckle. Good evening. Good, good evening. Good night. Good morning. Look, wherever you're listening, whatever time you're listening, hello. Hello, yes. <laughs> uh, spoken like someone right in the midst of a PhD. How are you doing, Chris? Yeah, very well, uh, despite... Stresses from several angles of life, mainly re- mainly relating to university, but mm-hmm. yeah, very well. Yeah, um, as as someone who is at the tail end of that process, um, I feel you, buddy. It's it's a tough time, but uh, we're taking you out of that world for a couple of hours to watch Finding Forrester. So, what do you know about Finding Forrester? I know that Sean Connery is in it, okay. most likely. <laughs> it's a good start. Uh, yeah, I have not seen this film. I've not heard of this film. Uh, I haven't. I realise I haven't actually seen many Sean Connery films in my life, so I'm mm-hmm. aware of him as an accent that one might do. <laughs> but I think uh, I have seen two, not just one. I've seen Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen mm-hmm. when I was young, and I have seen Highlander. Right. Uh, and probably some others that he is in. Uh, I haven't seen any of the original James Bonds. I'm sorry, anyone who is a huge James Bond fan mm. and is gnashing their teeth. It's okay. They're there for you to discover. You can go and sit there and enjoy the interesting and colourful storylines and the overt racism and sexism. But, you know, they're a product of their time. Exactly. And so so Sean is, is uh, I guess, someone that you're not... He, he wasn't a big part of your, I suppose, filmic... Growing up, your no, childhood. He wasn't. He wasn't a, an actor that I was particularly familiar with, or knew many of his roles, or anything like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I um, knew of him. Excellent. Well, you're about to know a lot more of him because you're going to see him in this film. And joining us as our guest, who has seen Finding Forrester, it is Dr. Ellen Sears. Hi. How you doing? I'm so excited to do this film because I love it. Yes. So so thank you for having me on for it. You are most welcome, but also... You also missed The Untouchables. 
Which yes. has one of his most credible, famous lines, which is the, you shunned, they, they, what was it? Um, they, they put one of yours in the hospital. You, you shunned one, one of theirs for the morgue. morgue. That one. Yeah, no. As soon as you listen to the other ones, I'm like, what about the Untouchables? Like, I haven't even seen the Untouchables, and I know that line. Mm. Mostly because it was quoted in an Animorphs book, but, you know. Fair enough. Pop culture is a bit like that, isn't it? Sure yes, is. <laughs> of course. Yes, uh, um, um, yeah. He did win the uh, the the Academy Award for for the Untouchables. Uh, yeah. but, but you know, I haven't mentioned Zardoz yet and his incredible outfit in that film. But we'll, we'll get to we'll get to Sean's career a bit <laughs> later in the episode. Um, Ellen, you you saw Finding Forrester around the time it came out. Yeah. So I've told you this story like ten times because I love this film. Um, what it was, was my great aunt was doing a fundraiser for something. I don't know what it was. And she was in charge of trying to sell tickets. And she was like, who wants tickets? And my mum and I were like, we'll go to this movie fundraiser for this movie we've literally never heard of. So the film came out in 2000, the end of 2000. And Mm -hmm. I think it came out in Australia not long after that. So maybe like early 2001. So I would have been 12-ish when I saw this, I think. Um... And I remember going and watching it at the cinemas and it was at one of the little kind of like more independent cinemas in Perth. And I remember just being totally floored by it and being like, this is a friggin' great film. And I I loved it so much that mum got a VHS copy for us for Christmas another year and watched it a bunch of times growing up. And every time I watched it, I kind of picked up on more bits and pieces. I think it's a really, I love the script. I think there's a lot of really subtle little jokes that I didn't, that I probably missed the first time around. And the older I get and go back and watch it, the more I'm like, oh, like this is just brilliant. And like, there's a lot of really understated, really funny lines. It's one of those movies that's very, it feels like you're just watching something from the real world. It doesn't feel like you're watching actors doing their thing it's not one of those really structured scripts Hmm. you know what Hmm. I mean and yeah I've just always really enjoyed it it hits hits a lot of my buttons it's like literary um it's it's funny like there's just a lot to it that I really enjoy so Hmm. yeah and with uh obviously Sir John Connery passing um I, I should ask what's your sort of um experience with Sean was he a big part of your sort of filmic growing up not really apart from this film which is where I got kind of my first and biggest exposure to him. Like I hadn't seen the League of um, Gentlemen until we did it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really seen any of his James Bond stuff. Most of my kind of interactions with his career was just kind of through um, general pop culture stuff. Mm. And the fact that he kind of played some very iconic characters and was always kind of floating around and doing bits. But, but by the time, like this was one of the last films that he did. Um, and then... And I was about 12 when that happened. And a lot of the stuff that he did earlier in his career, I just never particularly watched. I always enjoyed his stuff. I think mm. he's got a really, obviously, the, the iconic voice. Um, and he did some really good stuff. So, yeah, like, I like his stuff. But I've never been, like, a huge, like, Uber fan mm. or anything like that. He was just kind of one of those celebrities who was around and doing stuff. And then, yeah, like, I was a bit like, oh, man. Like, when I found out he died, I was like, man. That sucks. Like he wasn't young, but it still sucks. There's yeah. been a lot of been a lot of actors die this year, mm. Mm. like quite high profile people who are you know well known. So it was like, ah, oh, yeah, that sucks. Yes. Well, uh, with all that being said, shall we uh, see Sean and uh, watch Finding Forrester? That, that sounds good. Let's find Forrester. Sounds sounds good to me. Okay, for those of you playing at home, uh, pop in those DVDs and keep punching those keys as we watch. <laughs> Finding Forrester.
Welcome back everybody, we have just finished watching Finding Forrester, and by we, I of course mean Dr. Ellen Sears, Hello. and future Dr. Chris Buckle. Hello. Uh, Chris, that was your first time watching Finding Forrester. It was. What did you think? I thought it was a good film. I think, as probably all of us would agree, um, that kind of... Uh, academic uh, sort of figure who is like a mentor, teacher, slash mm. slightly um, obscure maybe these days in the halls of academia or um, in a writing context or something really, you know, spoke to me. And that's mm. something that I'm like, yeah, I've, we all look out for our, look for our mentors and mm. find our mentors in different places. And mm. I thought that was uh, really cool and really nice. I do think it is an interesting one from from that perspective of people involved in academia because i i'm just going by what the sort of general public is but the vast amount of people um who i imagine listen to this program or watch films in general are not people who uh, i think more people aren't in academia than are like mm. it is yeah. I, I think sometimes um because like, all three of us live and work in that world mm. you can forget that sometimes. You know, so many people who yeah. do a PhD, it's like, well, this is a common thing. Yeah. Well, wait, it's not. We have, we, have, we have a lot of doctors on this program. We like, do. Like, it's a little bit obscene. But, mm. um, but, it, but because of that, it does make me go, um, maybe, Chris, you weren't the right guest for this film. <laughs> because, I, not, not that I don't want mm. you here. I was no. just, it's just occurred to me that it may have been good to get someone from a non-academic background. However. Indeed. Um, here we are. We, we are here. <laughs> we are here. Yeah. You know, we we have made these decisions, and I can't unwatch the film. Yeah. No. Yeah. And yeah, I can't, can't bring in somebody else. The podcast. I can't bring in your brother Dan just to sit here from an academic perspective. Well, I mean, it wouldn't. It would if you brought in anyone else to replace me, Dan. Just suddenly being here yeah. for the second half of the segment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'd be fun. Um, but but I think it is interesting because we 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 do have that that background where this sort of world. Um, this this sort of world of, of literature and books and, and reading. It's a very Nerdery. specific type of yeah. academia, though. If you will. Yeah, see, little 12-year-old me watching this film for the first time, because I, I didn't go to university to study theatre and drama. Mm. I went to university to study creative writing, to be an author. Yeah, so did I. Because, right? what happened like i ended up with a phd in musical theater dance and you've nearly you're like you're doing one in philosophy like what happened you know yeah Mm. um but and that's probably why this film hit me like a ton of bricks at the age of 12 because Mm. at the age of like 10 11 12 my aspiration was to be an author and to write novels so i would have watched this and been like yes amazing because what i really wanted more than anything at that sort of time period and then going into high school was i wanted a writing mentor because I was getting, I was doing a lot of creative writing and I was getting a lot of A plus, tick, 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 but no actual constructive critical feedback. And I didn't mm. really get that until I was about 16 or 17 when I went into um, doing, um, well, it's called ATAR now here, but TE, like, like examination level exactly, yeah. high school stuff. And it was the first time I'd gotten constructive critical feedback on a piece of creative writing like ever. Mm. I like wept openly in the class. My friends were like, are you Okay. Like, it's all right. Like, mm. you'll get better. And I was like, no, I'm just so happy to have constructive criticism. So, yeah, I was thinking about that. I was watching it and I was like, yeah, I can see why 12-year-old me was so enamored of this film. Mm. Would you have liked a teacher like William Forrest? Oh, my God, yeah. Because he, that kind of very straightforward, no bullshit approach to, like, teaching is very much what I had growing up at my dancing school. Ah, right. Mm. Um, like, it was very much like, 
jump. You didn't even ask how high. You just jumped and then you waited for them to correct your technique. Right. Like that was the kind of relationship I had with my dance teacher, mm-hmm. Val, growing up. And she was a really formative part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my first, well, she was my first big like mentor person in mm-hmm. terms of stuff. And obviously I've gone on and there's been a lot more people since then, especially um, going through university. Um, but interestingly, my mentors have all kind of been in the performing arts realm i've not Mm. really ever had a writing mentor Mm. still and i would like to go back to writing one day Mm. Mm. Uh, chris um well while we're on mentors um would you have liked a mentor or would you still like a mentor like the character that sean Connery plays in this film uh william forrester constipated thinking (laughs) best well (laughs) i feel like um i i have had that uh for the last few years in murdoch and i mean uh yeah on that i i don't think having a mentor or that sort of thing is significant is specifically an academic thing. And I don't think that's something yeah. that only academic people would like. Cause for me, uh, being a fourth child and, you know, not maybe getting as much guidance as, you know, following yeah. along. Your parents sort are of, tired as, by that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the family's doing its own thing. Everyone's sort of grown up a bit and is moving on. Like, so I feel like having, not that I had bad parents or bad family or didn't have in, guidance or anything in that sense Mm. but i feel like i have always kind of sought mentors and you know sought really good teachers when i've been in school and you know found some really good ones and Mm. and in lots of different places just yeah always there's always been like someone who's been around who i've been like well this is someone i'm learning from and it's not just i'm learning academic things or i'm Mm. learning getting yes but it's it's more about learning yeah how to live and how to be in the world and like a, a bit how to, of how to be a people and yeah. learning yeah different like different perspectives from people and from people who've had vastly different lives to your own often they're older and so mm. they've grown up in a very different time maybe they've come from a de- very different place yeah and i think that's very clear in here because mm. like so william forrester in this is obviously born in 1930 which i think is when um sean connery is born right because he was yeah yeah he was, so yeah. he's the same age as my grandma Right. Mm. So Sean Connery and, and this character is the same age as my grandma in this. And so at um, at this point in 2000, if the film is set in 2000, which it seems like it kind of is, like 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 late 90s, early 2000, mm. you're looking at somebody who's what, like 70. like 70 odd. And then this 16 year old kid. And there's obviously this massive age gap and this massive kind of difference in experience because you've got Jamal, who's this, you know, 16 year old kid who's growing up in the Bronx and he's black and he's kind of got this very specific um, world experience. Mm. Like he's got a very specific view of the world. And then mm. you've got William who was obviously like he, he was from Scotland and then his family moved over here to New York and did the thing. And he wrote a novel because he was too young to go to the war or he didn't go to the war for whatever reason, mm. but his brother did and his brother came home and then obviously had like mental health issues and was, just and obviously died quite tragically which you kind of find out over the course of the film and it's just such a different they've they've both experienced loss in different ways because jamal obviously has lost his dad because his dad it's implied has got like has had um, issues with substance abuse of some description and just Mm. left the Mm. family because he was like it's just i can't i can't do it i can't get myself clean and it's just not going to happen. So they've both got this kind of tragedy in their lives. Like you've unlocked my tragic backstory and mm. this is what kind of links them together. Mm. Did and he, that love of writing. Did he, did his dad leave or did his mom throw him out and be like, no, this I is, think it's a, a mixture of the I, two. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's always termed as kind of when dad left. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but he does say at, at one, one point, point when he was explaining, he says, it. you know, mum got, 
tired of waiting for him to get clean mm. and dad got tired of trying to get clean yeah. um which yeah. so i think it was maybe like a bit of a mutual sort of like like this is yeah family. like this like this is not working yeah this is not working and i like, think one of the things i really like about this film um and, and particularly the way it's constructed is it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty classic tale of uh character coming from a character coming from a a poor background uh and yeah. obviously with it being an american story uh from a non-white background yeah um growing up and sort of entering a, a world uh, that has a bit more of a higher class status and trying to fit in or trying to forge their own place i don't mm. actually i think this film's really interesting that one it never tri- jamal never tries to fit in mm. which no, i think he is really interesting he, yeah. he he's proving himself that he's there on his own merits yeah. Um, but the other thing I really like is the um, this film doesn't lean into something that I think a lot of the films do have, uh, where they show like people who live in the Bronx like this. It's it's awful, and look how mm. bad it is. Like uh, the characters are it's never very matter of fact. Yeah, the, it's very yeah. like he, like that shot where he's walking down the street and the cop car goes past and he kind of has a look and it starts raining and then it's like and there's a burnt out car that's like yeah. still on fire in the background and, and the cops have just ignored it. Yeah, and it I says think, so much. And that, but that's what I really like about the film is yeah. the people who are in there and living their lives know that the situation like it's it's a tough world that they're, they're living in, but they're not constantly lamenting it. Mm. And I, I think maybe it's partly because we don't see Jamal in that world that much because he gets whisked off after about 20 minutes mm. to the college and we're seeing him try to to make his way at the college. But I really like the fact that the film doesn't kind of luxuriate in like poverty tourism. The misery. And yeah. Blah, blah, blah. It, it kind yeah. of does that, I think, through the, like, the cinematography as well because obviously the first bit of the film is very focused on that kind of lower socioeconomic area and kind of the people who are in it and like the graffiti and the dirtiness and then mm. when you get to the college obviously it's all like like this is manhattan and mm. it's cleaner and it's this and i'm like manhattan isn't really actually that much cleaner yeah. <laughs> in real like in real but, life but, but the bits or whatever. where the college but, yeah. is the college yeah. would be oh yeah the college is like quite fancy and whatever and else i think the only other place we go outside of the college is um the stadium the, the stadium and the, the, the party house um, yeah, which is hella Claire's, fancy. Claire's yeah. parents' house, which is hella yeah. fancy. And I love the bit where they are at the party when um, they go outside to get a bit of air and he basically, and she's like, you know, it must be hard, like, for you sort of and thing. Like, yeah. And what? he, yeah, and he's like, no, like, what do you mean? And then he's sort of, he sort of says, you know, you know what's the worst is like living where I live, but knowing that I'm safe there. Mm even though for most other people they wouldn't be. Mm. He said that's the that's the hard part is knowing mm. that I'm safe there. Mm. Despite what everybody thinks about it and the way that it is. Yeah. Like that's that's the hard part. And I was like, "Oh yeah. man." Yeah. And there's I, some yeah, good it, stuff in this film. It is. It's a really well-written film. I think obviously the key focus of the film is that relationship between Jamal and um, William. And that... Rob Brown is great. Like this yeah. is his first big film and mm. I I don't know that he did much more He's done a bit since. He's done then, a little but, bit. But this was his like breakout film. He'd never been a, yeah. a featured um, star of of anything until this film. Yeah. Um, and Gus Van Sant just looked at him and was like, "I really like what what what, what he can do." So you're yeah. going to get mm. the part. And, and I and I think it's not a very like acty acty film. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like it's very yeah. sort of like naturalistic and mm. quite true to life. And the way that it's not like the dialogue where it's like a lot of dialogue, like especially even like nowadays. Like if you look at 
I'm going to keep coming back to like the Avengers films because they're a very specific stylistic thing where they're very like, okay, and like the thing and the stuff and the da-da-da-da and, you know, we have to say the thing and it's very like quite... Yeah, there's a lot of either... Declamatory kind of language. The text is either exposition or quip. Yes. That's that's it is. So, you know... um, Captain America will come in and go, this is the situation. And then Robert Downey Jr. or Ant-Man quip. delete is applicable. <laughs> yeah. will go quip. And then they'll go back to the exposition. But again, very different style of film mm, very that they're different. trying to make. Like, and a lot of this is told through the cinematography, mm. like quite, quite sneakily. And there's a lot of nice little like jokes and like in jokes and little mm. bits and pieces that go through. Like I'm like, first time I watched this, I missed a lot of things and on, on subsequent rewatches picked up on a lot more of the humor mm. and a lot more of the, comedy and whatever else although i was interested because um we were talking before about the idea of jamal kind of straddling those two worlds um kind of like you know where he grew up and where Mm. he's going to school and i think that's really beautifully exemplified by his dual talents in obviously basketball which is you know like the sports ball and then the literary side of things where he's obviously this really talented writer and he's reading all of these like insanely like literary books and he's obviously very knowledgeable about a lot of things um but we were watching it and i've obviously watched this with you before Stephen, and you were like i forgot that the basketball was like so big in this film yeah well i think it's just because for me what i remembered was the literary stuff was the scenes between jamal and william they were Mm. they were the big bits for me that i was kind of attached to i remember that same he 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 had the basketball and that he played basketball with his friends and that he was there on a basketball sort of athletics scholarship Mm. package um see i just don't care about sport at all particularly no, so i'm like this is an interesting thing but like i just don't particularly care about the true and like basketball, and like basketball. <laughs> as a fan of the game i appreciated that subplot oh you're a basketball I'm, fan oh that's yeah. good okay that's, that's something good because basketball for me um I, I like sports generally but basketball leaves me a bit cold it's never oh. been one that's really appealed to me well i mean i think basketball is interesting in that it's something it's probably one of the games in terms of like out of all the sports balls that requires well in my opinion the most out of its players because you know you have to be incredibly physically fit um tall is uh, handy uh, athletic tall is handy but you don't have to be there are five seven players who do incredibly well Mm -hmm. kind of thing and like amongst all of that uh but also that it is such a you're on a smaller court and it's Mm. such a sharp thinking game small squad based and you've really like everyone's Mm. got to be thinking tactically Mm. strategically and Mm. it's so fast-paced that it is it involves every part of like do you think how did you find like the actual like filming of the way that they did the basketball scenes because obviously they had a couple of different ones did you enjoy that well uh so i thought yeah i mean for most of the film as i said they got pretty much every shot went in and it's like you can tell so they film it in that way where you see part of him take a shot and then you'll see the shot going in and you're like well yeah that's Mm. you know obvious that there were lots of takes in between that because then when you see at the end when they're just doing the long shot in the credits and they're um they're playing all playing basketball with yeah. his friends and you go yeah. yeah that's more like it even if you're a professional you yeah. do miss a lot of shots because it's hard yeah because it it's is. tricky um they should lower that basket make it easier yeah. for everyone um but <laughs> uh, yeah the thing that i really liked about the way they shot the the games and the, mm. the games were obviously all focused around jamal because that's the, the mm. character we're following we don't really care you don't about, need to see 40 minutes of yeah. basketball But also, I don't think we yeah, really yeah. care about his basketball skills because they're never really brought into question. No. He's he, obviously good. Yeah. yeah. Like and like, I would say that that was why Rob Brown was probably also picked for this because he had, like, 
basketball skills. Like yeah. it's not it's, it's not like films now where they're like we're gonna get this big name actor in and yeah. do give them a six week boot camp on how to do basketball mm, and they yeah. or, or like you know with dancers as well. They're mm. like we're gonna teach this person how to move their arms like a dancer and then get a body double for the rest of it because yeah. it's just too hard basket to teach somebody how to do like ballet. Yeah, mm. but I think that the, the way the basketball was shot was really interesting. I I, I think. I really liked that initial sequence of uh, when he gets to the college and he's got the one-on-one mm. with the yeah. guy with the ridiculous cheekbones. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, John uh, like was the character's him. name. And they just have that essentially like five-minute running basketball battle. And mm. you saw how his wits, Jamal's wits were being used in mm. that sphere. And it shows that obviously, you know, his intelligence isn't, isn't book based like mm. like he's it, got he's got a balance of both yeah it's like mm. that 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 intelligence comes from sort of all aspects of his life and like he's yeah. he's clearly obviously an incredibly intelligent person and how he chooses to apply it is really interesting mm. i think also the um the scene that's always in a film uh which where there's like a male <laughs> and a female lead which is the ghost um yeah I'm gonna clay pot <laughs> kiln i'm gonna scene. give you instructions and it's gonna yeah. be slightly romantic because but unspoken we just did walk the line and there's like a fishing sequence where like oh, johnny yeah. and june um have they a, get have into a... close proximity yeah. and it's like oh the sexual I've tension show you some technique yeah you gotta you can cut that with a knife one of them stood behind the other um yeah. and in this one but this one i really liked it because it was an excuse for, for claire and jamal to get close and in physical contact but he actually explained how he thought in terms of defending in a mm. basketball move and used it whilst also being like, and I get to touch Anna Paquin. Well, hey, like, you know, it was smooth. It was very yeah. smooth. Yeah. And that's just it. Like Jamal as a protagonist, he is, he is a smooth guy. Like he's, he's I a think, pretty cool dude. Yeah. I think he's, it's, I think it's really quite a, a, a good thing. This film managed to do and that Rob Brown managed to do with the performance to make someone who is so actually good at everything that he does. Not seem like a piece of shit. He's yeah. really likable. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Like and part of that, and open and yeah, and I think open. part of that is what you were saying as well before, Stephen, about um, he doesn't, he's sort of straddling these worlds and he's trying to fit in with his friends back, you know, in his, in his, in his neighborhood and he's trying to sort of fit in with the kids at his new school and whatever else, but he only does it up to a point mm-hmm. and the rest of the time he's just like, you know what, I'm not going to play the games that everybody's playing. Cause I, I don't am see, who I am. Yeah, I am who I am, and I don't see the point in all of this extraneous garbage, essentially. Yeah. And that's so, almost to his detriment uh, yeah. in his clashes with uh, But he's also Crawford. a 16-year-old kid. Well, yeah, exactly. So it's like, I can understand why he's being like a little shit, because yeah. people are being jerks to him. And I'm like, I remember being a 16-year-old. I used mm. to get real mad at people who were like... I'm still mad about like a, a social studies assignment assignment from like year nine that I got marked down for because I didn't include a glossary. Like I remember what it was like to be an angry little teenager mm. with people in positions of authority being mm. like, well, you didn't do the thing like I said. Like, mm. like no, you suck. <laughs> like, this is unjust. Yeah. Children have such a wonderful sense of injustice, mm. especially little kids. Yeah. But teenagers do it in a slightly different way. And it's yeah. always so interesting. I, um, uh, I, th- I think it's interesting. Uh, well, yeah, when you bring up the him being there on his own merit, uh, trying to like, and he wants to prove that, and he wants to be himself, mm. and he's in the private school, and he gets that scholarship. But that's the people who get scholarships for skills uh, and and come because like my brother uh, went to uh, my brother older brother Josh um, went to a private school, uh, mm. and he got the scholarship from uh, where he was uh, at York District High School, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like, if you get that scholarship, that means that you are, have the merit to go there and they were willing to pay for you to go there. Mm-hmm. Like, 
because yeah. you're good enough or because you're probably better than most other people there who would just be there because, there because they have money. money or whatever yeah like, yeah. That. like and that is yeah it, it, but there's it's that part very, of the interesting dynamic and i'm yeah, yeah i'm glad but, that but there's, there's sort of... but, but there's that social thing as well of like oh like you're on a scholarship like you don't mm. have the money to be here um which but i've got the skills to be here yeah that, to, like this the school recognize and go well and that's we want you exactly mm. and and that For kind of reasons. snobbishness does come through a little bit with some of the other yeah. students obviously like with cheekbones i'm sorry i'm gonna have mm. to just call him cheekbones because yeah. incredible bone structure on yeah, that mean. dude um, oh my god yeah i think it's really interesting that the school is largely very supportive of him like it's a very yeah. positive um portrayal from like the school are like no no we want you here and the staff like for the the disciplinary board stuff mm. um that comes up later on are largely like, look, we know F. Murray Abraham's just being a dick, yeah. so let's yeah. just... Tr- <laughs> but we really want that basketball championship. Yeah. Yeah, um, so if you really. just give that to us, yeah, then, you know, and, and, and they do talk about that. It's that whole idea of, like, you know, this is a school that likes winning, so if you can mm. help them to win, then bonus. And, I mean, there's private and public schools like that here. Yeah, yeah. Like um, the school my brother went to Yeah, was a public school, but was very much, like... Well, we don't want like bad test scores to bring us down, so maybe just like don't do the thing because mm-hmm. you'll bring our scores down. And it's like, wow. Yeah, look, it it happens in lots of different spheres, um, and sometimes it is on an individual basis, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's on a sort of wider um, systemic s- systemic school basis. <laughs> um, and I think it's really interesting that this school is portrayed as being like, yeah, we like winning, but also they seemed like they seem pretty. A lot of the staff seem quite supportive of Jamal, with the obvious exception of Robert Crawford, as he's played by. He's such a great, F. like he's Abraham. he's the villain of this story, and he plays it so beautifully. The salty, like yeah. academic who just like couldn't be the writer that he wanted yeah. to be. Yeah. The absolute definition of those who can't teach. And then the then the fanboy <laughs> yeah. boying like over like uh, the minute Forrester the forest when he comes, comes in, back, he's just he's like, oh my god, I've got all these things I want you to sign later, maybe. Mm. Yeah, no, and then it's just and then it's just like actually no, I have to go hang with my friend yeah. who you oh. hate, so. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a wonderful portrayal. Um, and like, I'm sure we've all had teachers like this. <laughs> yeah, not really. I'm, I mean, we've I'm, seen teachers like it's it's yeah. an interest, it's a, it's a, it's a trope. But it is I a feel trope. Like, no, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the sort of like the one real stick in the mud. Um, and I think it's really interesting that even though, yeah, it was vindictive what what uh, Crawford was doing. It didn't feel out of place with the reality of the world because no. this felt like mm. quite a real world yeah. that was being portrayed oh yeah for sure. and i think the everything we learned from from forrester about crawford about the fact that he was a failed author and about how the forrester screwed him over i um, know <laughs> you're like what a jerk yeah but um, you're also a bit like but it's 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 the snape thing it's this teacher mm. has gone into academia partially so they can be a jerk to people yeah and like mm. They didn't get the chance that they felt they should have had. Yeah, it's like, I get, feel They didn't victimized. succeed in the chance that they thought they yeah, got. Yeah, so it's like, great, well, I will now bully somebody else yeah, I mean, in some capacity. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, Crawford absolutely is, is, is not a character that is redeemed at any point in this film. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> but it didn't feel as though he was sort of like a moustache twirling like, no. I hate all scholarship students. <laughs> no, he felt, he felt like a very real human being yeah, who and you he would was, run into. And, you know, he was... Like classist, definitely racist, possibly against Jamal. Probably, yeah. Um, in fact, I'm going to go with probably, but certainly, I think it was more of a classism thing. From, For sure, yeah. From um, I keep wanting to call him F. Murray Abraham, but it, yeah, that's the actor from Crawford. Um, 
and it's that you know he, he yeah. it's what Forrester says you know he doesn't believe that a black kid from the Bronx of your age could be, would be able to write like yeah. this and I think it's interesting that a lot of people do do have that doubt about the fact that someone who is athletic is also smart and it's like have you guys not heard of like cb fry or have you not heard of like people who are these mm. savants and i think it does come down to the fact that it's a lot of classism and racism oh yeah and i mean america in the like late 90s early 2000s like yeah. hello i mean we're, we're still there yeah we're still there yeah. aren't we it's it's it is a really interesting film uh quick shout out for buster rhymes who, oh man oh, uh, he just turns up portrayal. and is great. Yeah, but he's, he's, he's really good in this. He is really like, good in this. Like, he's cast perfectly as, as Terrell, the, the older brother. Mm. Um, I, the- I really like that relationship as well. And it's nice because it kind of also parallels, again, obviously, William Forrester had a brother who was like an older brother mm. who, mm. you know, died and it was all very tragic and whatever else. And then Jamal's also got a brother. So, I, like, the bit where he, like, Jamal's flipping through the photo album and you can... The other thing that I like about this film is that it doesn't like really handhold you. Like a lot of films, they just like, we're just going to mm. pummel this home so yeah. you definitely know that this is what we're trying to tell yeah. you. Whereas oh, in this, yeah. you kind of got to put the jigsaw puzzle pieces together. You're like, oh, like he had a bra. And then obviously that's then confirmed mm. in the next bit where they go to the stadium yeah. in and a whatever more, else. In a more handholdy film, Sean Connery would be leaning up against one of the windows that he's cleaned. Um, and he'd, it, it's, he'd say... Somebody would say something about brothers and he'd go, don't mention brothers yeah. again. Yeah, exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? It's so much more subtle and realistic yeah. and it's just I mean, it's, beautiful. It's still pretty on the nose. He's mm. like, don't ask me questions about my about my former life. About yeah. my family. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah. like, okay, no more soup questions. I get it. Like, I feel like it's covered in quite a natural way as opposed yeah. to being like specifically, we're going to find out later about his tragic mm. brother backstory. Well, that's, yeah, I think the benefit of having them foreground that relationship and make yeah. that the the mm. story of the film and let that be the story of the film that unfolds yeah. where the, all these other things that we're talking about have, was, are there subtly yeah. and allowed yeah. to be there and feel more natural and feel like they are part of just the world but rather than like this is a narrative thing that we've done yeah. to create oh, a parallel yeah to... exactly it's yeah. not ever like hammered home it mm. just feels very like oh yeah of course like that makes sense for yeah. this world and this character and these people it's not yeah the whole cast are very good. The, the whole cast are very good in this. Sean movie. Connery is really good in this. Yeah, I mean, mm. his when he when when they're mm. in the subway mm. and he has like he gets caught up in the crowd and he yep. starts freaking out and then he loses the sunglasses and he mm. starts to have like the panic attack. the panic attack yeah. and he just goes and hides in the corner and then when Jamal finds him and he's just been like obviously like crying because mm. he's just so freaked out and just panicked and yeah. whatever else really subtle but just amazing and like just his discomfort yeah just through his body beautiful amazing yeah. like th- and i think that's one of the reasons why i really like this film as well is because sean connery is so good in it but it's a very subtle yeah performance i mean there were a lot of films we could have picked as we said before to look yeah. at sean connery with and like you know there's we've done two of his bonds there's still like four others we could have picked mm. we could have gone for hunt for red october or you know zardoz to see him in the outfit but um mm. but i feel like this this film is is maybe like his his last really good role like yeah like i think it's really obviously good. everyone knows he finishes with the league of extraordinary gentlemen and that he wasn't bad in that it's just not the movie was just the, bad the movie's not particularly great no. but he's he's perfectly fine in it he's, as yeah, he, he's just he's just in there just doing his Sean connery thing but mm. i feel like this is a film where his his talents and what he was capable of at that, that point in his career um, 
really were allowed to shine. Yeah, mm. um, I, I agree. I think yeah. he's really good in this. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and I, I just think love his performance. Yeah, he's he. It's interesting because he's a little bit threatening. And I think that's yeah. that's really important mm. for the character that there's a slight with the bit with the knife. The bit like, with the yeah. knife. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's like oh Jesus. But also just in general because you know he's not a he's not a small person. Uh, he's not like a no. he's not he's not got like you know he doesn't look weak or he doesn't look small. He looks like if he got really cross and like you know he has violent outbursts. He throws mm. the glass and shatters it. Yeah. yeah. Like you need that slight element of I think the physical danger for the character of William Forrester to sort of show that. I guess that like even though this is very a very cerebral uh film and a very cerebral interaction between these two characters mm. um I feel as though he's still a Scottish dude who's a bit built who could yeah. probably mess you up. Well that's just it. I think it's important <laughs> because we establish how um obviously physically fit and present Jamal is for the basketball. Mm. Yeah. It would be I think too much for say you had like a really sort of skinny actor or someone who didn't look uh, as physically imposing in the role of William Forrester, I think maybe subtextually you could read it as like, I don't know why Jamal's listening to this guy to an extent, mm. even though... Like it, if you had somebody like, I don't know, like Ian McKellen, who's like a like tall, skinny dude. Or yeah. Yes. Patrick Stewart, who's a bit slighter or something like that. Y- yeah, potentially. I don't know. It would have worked as well. The, well, yeah, the ominous nature of uh, William Forrester, especially when we first uh, meet him through the, you know, uh, window that he's looking at, um, looking out at these kids, but yeah. him also being like a sort of a horror story, like an urban legend almost yeah. to the point mm. where... Jamal is dead to go up into his uh, apartment for the first uh, And then he just jumps time. at him and just scares the crap out of him. Mm. That yeah. seems so funny. <laughs> and hangs his backpack up in the window. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. He's just got such a great... Yeah, that, that, that character has such a funny sense of humor. Like, he's just very droll. Mm. And it just comes mm. through consistently throughout, like, hanging the backpack up in the window. Like, some of the little one-liners that they've got, it just... Well, also, I thought that backpack bit was nice because he's obviously this recluse character who's... Um, afraid of going outside and uh yeah like massive social but anxiety then, yeah also to he's with that backpack it was like he's inviting because he'd already read jamal's work obviously at that mm. point in his notebooks and he's almost like he's inviting him to come back and go well you know i i really don't want a friend and i really don't want to go outside and i really don't want to push this boundary but also i do and i'm like yeah know, mm. not necessarily a cry for help but like yeah cry, like going well here's a chance if you want to come back and like yeah. Then he just can't help himself. That's and kind he, of the and whole he marked thing. marked the work already at that Oh point, my god. So. And I think that's one of my favorite scenes of the whole thing where Jamal's like, "Okay, I've got my I've got my books back like thank god." And then he opens them and it's just red pen, red <laughs> pen all the way through just like constipated. Mm-hmm. Um where are like, you taking where me? Where are you taking me? And like just so funny. I don't remember watching that and just being like, "This is so funny." Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine? And he's just like what the hell, man? And then he turns up and he's like, oh, I was thinking maybe I could bring you some more stuff. And he's like, how about 5,000 words? And why do you stay the f- out of my home? And he just goes straight back and just writes it yeah. and brings it back. It's like, 5,000 re- words by hand too. I read, like- I read that thing you asked me for. What thing? Sure. You know, 5,000 words and where I should stay out of your place. Well, why don't you write it exactly as I said? <laughs> just, yeah. It's, oh my God. It is It is quite fun. It's I think- so funny. Yeah, I, I think those two are obviously a, a, a good fit, Jamal and William. Mm. And they, it's they like do a little have... bit of an odd couple thing, yeah. but it's a, it's a lovely friendship. It is a lovely friendship. Um, and I think Anna Paquin's very good in this as well. She's just mm. really good. We haven't really given her much of a shout out, but I think the character of Claire, again, you, you know, the sort of the, the, the romantic subplot, and it really is a subplot. Like it's, not, yeah. it's yeah. not very big and present in the film, but, you know, he needs, Jamal needs like a friendly connection in that world and someone to support him. And... I think it's really interesting that the the way that from the from the off from when Claire and Jamal meet, you're like, 
oh yeah, no, those two clearly get along. And I really like the fact he's, Jamal's the one that's quite reticent about the relationship. Yeah. Mm. Um, when she broaches it when they're at the Hayden Planetarium, mm. uh, which I've, uh, sorry, I just really like that Shut Planetarium. Up. And I was like, I've been there. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, when, they're, when they're wandering around the Hayden Planetarium um, and um, she's sort of like hinting at, you know, hey, uh, you know, maybe. What, what, what were you trying to show me with yeah. those basketball moves? And hey. he's just like, you've got, a super protective and possibly elitist, nay, racist father. Uh, I, like, I don't want to push on that particular boundary. Yeah. Um, but but obviously she shows that she doesn't care about that when she's, like, holding his hand, like, quite actively, like, getting his hand and holding it mm. when they're in the final reading competition. Yeah, it's like, I don't care if you get kicked out of the school. Like, I still want to, like, hold your hand and I still want to be with you. Like, yeah, yeah it's a nice relationship. But, but we never see good. them kiss we never see them get too no which is unusual because from, normally yeah. normally yeah. a female character like that would be there for like their reward at the end mm. you know and it'd be like oh like but it's but that's the thing this isn't a film about that romance it's about the friendship between william and between jamal and mm. kind of that kind of relationship and it's still just another subtle undertone which like yeah. uh, broadens the character and, and yeah. has it and yeah. there's more flavor to the story whatever yeah. but, and then uh, coleridge who's just like quite a small part but he's just but mm. I feel like that would have been a bigger part in another film, another version of this film. I yeah, think. in a sure. remake of this film, those two things would definitely be yeah. heightened way up. Yeah, those two would be really Ron and Hermioning it up. In yeah, this, in this correct. Story. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, it's. I, I think it's just a very well. There's no need to call me Sir Professor. Like yeah. it's very. You could you could you could see Jamal saying something like that to Crawford. Yeah, it's um yeah it's it's a real, it's just a really lovely, well balanced cast. And I think that they all yeah. do a really, a really great job um, in this film. And as you say, I think the the cinematography and the framing of it it's really um, beautiful. is lovely. And specifically framing it with like that rap at the beginning, yeah. uh, the, the 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 freestyling guy that does breaking the fourth wall mm. thing. I think is such a good way of starting this film because it, you know this is a film about words and about what we do to write. And I think even though this is a film which is very much focused on classical literature and the idea mm. of like novel writing being sort of the preeminent form of like playing around with lyrics well, and words and language. Yeah, that's what literary studies are like. Yeah, mm. but but the, but, <laughs> in the, the academy, but even though this, we know. even though this film phrase like looks in that world, it begins with a freestyle rap and sort of shows mm. like this is where we are where now. we are like turn yeah. of the century, turn of the millennium. Here is yeah. what the sort of living beating heart of like American lexicography looks like. And it's a guy in the Bronx doing a freestyle rap while we see yeah. shots of the city around him. And I think it's really. And the culture lovely. and the, yeah. yeah. It, it's sort mm. of showing like, you know, it, it's essentially going like, Hey, we are dealing with some real stuffy subject matter. And you know, it's all dead white guys that we're going to mm. be talking about. Yeah. And yet they're kind of like nodding to the fact it's like we know there's more going on to this and that mm. maybe Jamal is almost representative of like that link between past and present yeah. and into mm. the future and, yeah. and the fact that going going forward I, I think maybe the Gus Van Sant and what this film was trying to communicate is that literature and language no longer being the domain of the dead white man mm. um, even though it's very much focused around you know like Coleridge and Dickens and Keats are all Kipling. quoted and, and Kipling and things like that are all mm mentioned yeah, um, that was really interesting at that first shot with the they had the, the um, clapper, the clapper. Yeah. and yeah. I, yeah i was i was like oh, is this why did know, they keep that a, in or is this a special you know feature or is this like something like no, a, a, a deleted scene or something but yeah. no like yeah that was part yeah. of them so that was on reflection yeah, yeah. and it did so really almost, interesting choice yeah mm. it starts you as an audience member and as someone watching it for the first time like mm. on a 
hmm, what's going on here kind of thing. Yeah, mm. it's kind of like, I guess, drawing attention yeah. to the fact that it's like, like this is a film, this mm. is a made-up thing, but it's very much based in reality. Mm. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a really simple way of sort of tying that, that message into it. Mm. And I think, it, yeah, I just think it's very well made. Um, it's, yeah. It, it's beautifully put together. The camera angles and stuff as well. We've talked a little bit about that and like, you know, even like the last bit where they're like coming in and the curtains are blowing and like some of that very classic Hollywood style stuff. And then mm. you've got like those beautiful shots, which are like the perspective shots during the basketball game mm. where he's on the floor and it's kind of like tilted on an angle and like mm. just the whole thing is just put together in such a lovely way i was talking a bit about the the music as well because there's a lot of like there's a bit of diegetic music but there's also a lot of non-diegetic music so like music that's part of the world and Mm. then music that's like overlaid over the top as well and i have to do a shout out to the (laughs) the music not within the world the non-diegetic music when william rides his bicycle yes Mm. which is just one of the most delightful sequences just that do 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 do, mm. like it's just so funny, and it's just him driving his bike down these like streets in the middle of the night, and he's just so upright, and then indicating with his hand. There's yeah. something about it that's it's just beautiful. so delightful. Mm. Um, it's very funny. Before we move on to the the trivia, um, I wanted to quickly touch on um, a criticism of this film. Which yeah. is that it is uh, a white savior narrative. Yeah. Um, so for mm. people who are maybe unaware, uh, it's it's a cinematic trope in which white characters or a white character rescues non-white characters from unfortunate circumstances. So it's quite often seen in films uh, such as like The Last Samurai, which is about um, yeah. Tom Cruise plays like somebody who mm. is American who goes over to Japan and becomes a member of the samurai and is like a big a big member, a big important person in that mm. film. Mm. Um, there's lots of examples of it, but this is a film which has been cited as having a white saviour narrative. Yeah, it's mm. something, I, I was looking up the runtime of this film yesterday and yeah. that popped up on the Wikipedia page and I went, you know, I've never thought about yeah. it from that perspective before. Probably because I'm a white lady. Mm. Um, mm. And, so. Yeah, and all, look, all three of us here are white people. Um, so yeah. just take that in, in mind if you're listening out there in, in the world uh, to know that that is... That that is literally colouring our perspective, um, but but Chris, mm. um, in terms of this film, where, where do you think it sits in terms of that? White? First of all, is it is it as egregious as the Last Samurai? Because you pulled quite a face when yeah. I started discussing that. Uh, well, I saw the Last Samurai a long time ago, but that you know anything with Tom Cruise being thrown into a cultural situation to is generally bring things out with American style. America, is, you know, yeah, real good. But, um, it's an, yeah, it's an interesting, um, so, I mean, yeah, especially in that last scene, we see Forrester finally show up at the school and save Jamal's, uh, bacon, uh, as bacon. It were. yeah, in, in the sense of going, well, no, he did actually write this and all of you are wrong mm. to doubt him and, you know, this mm. dude's great. But I don't, I'm not sure because <laughs> in, in one sense, Jamal is doing all of this on his own merit. Mm. And even when they're going, oh, well, we don't really like you, so maybe we're going to, you know, say this is plagiarism and go, hey, we're going to kick you out if you don't do it. But they're still like, well, you know, you're here and you actually are really good and Mm. you do do really well in all of our classes and you're really great with the basketball. And I I think this film... I don't know that I, I, there is a white savior narrative in there. Mm. That, yeah. That, yeah, that's definitely. undeniable. That you know, ultimately, the day is saved. 
through the actions of William Forrester, an old white man, coming because, into bat for yeah. a, a young black man. Um, partly because, obviously, the institutions are all run by these old white men, and they're mm. like, oh, we, we will listen to this one because he's he's the big he's the big daddy he's like mm. the, the the one that we all respect for his literary work but i also think that this film does a really interesting thing in that jamal could have negated the need for the white savior through the basketball game mm. because the mm. school offered him like a cop-out kind of way of getting out of it he wasn't going to do the apology Mm. And they said, look, you bring us the championship. We can make all this go away. We're going to put you in classes that are a bit easier because mm. obviously their perspective was he's done this because they're going, he may have plagiarized a bit, but it's probably just because it's a big workload. Yeah. Um, and not not thinking, obviously, that he is capable, whether or not there's any basism in like racism, you know, whether or not those teachers are Whether it's a racist yeah, thing or whether they're, they're just going, like, oh, it's because like he's from the Bronx. It's or if a they're big going, change from like your yeah. last school to this one. Yeah, because that yeah. change could be, he's from the Bronx, he can't do it. Or maybe they could be going, oh no, he's just, this is a lot to ask someone to go from one educational group to another and have all these big life changes sometimes people do struggle with that we we, we don't know whether or not the school's perspective was colored by like and issues you don't of see race. how much time he had to spend on the basketball in terms of yeah that is but it's not just him playing games for mm. the college or for the um yeah, yeah but, whatever, Jam- but jamal had the tools present within the story to, to have get- saved himself and mm. chose not to mm. because he was making a principled point and yet, and was willing to was point. willing mm. to take the fall to, for to it. take the fall in order now, to protect his friend. Yeah. Mm. Now I do think that's it. Still fits into the white savior narrative, yeah. where he is ultimately the day is saved by right. by Sean Connery coming in and doing doing his his reading. Yeah. But I also feel as though this is maybe like the least egregious of a white of the white savior narratives in Jamal definitely of, did offer something yeah. to Forrester yeah. in the sense uh, that Forrester he reads him his, and, he yeah, reads his yeah. words and, and then he says well yeah, yeah he saved me and like he helped me out because mm. I wouldn't have and then in that letter at the end he's like I wouldn't have gone to Scotland and I wouldn't have reconnected with my homeland uh, yeah. before I died yeah, yeah. I not know and, I th- and I think that kind of and I don't want to say that that undermines it or subverts it or yeah. you know completely makes it yeah. whatever no but. i th- yeah I, th- I think there's definitely elements of that kind of like white savior like trope in there mm. but i think it's dealt with in a way that's actually pretty well balanced and kind of realistic like if you're taking mm. into account like the socio-political world mm. that this movie is set in and that idea of you know and and they, they draw constant attention to that they're like mm. you know like a black kid from the bronx who's come to this private school blah 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 like mm. in that the way that it's presented in the film is like this is something that's a little bit out of the ordinary mm. within kind of like the context that this film is being done so yeah. I, I certainly think it's it's a lot yeah. less egregious than something like the Great Wall, where yes. Matt Damon is a white guy who turns up to help defend the Chinese army against alien monsters, but he's like the one man who can save China is Matt Damon. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, Matt Damon has a, is in this film right at the end as a lawyer. He's uh, yeah. so baby faced. And he looked like this. he got given like the script that morning and <laughs> was like, uh, "I've got to say all these lines, whatever." Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that is is a part of of this this particular narrative. But I also think that this film does quite a lot 
I, I don't think it set it up. I don't think this film was being set up to be like, and then mm. the old white man saved the day, and that was the point of the film. It I did think everything it, with subtlety. Yeah, it, it was. A, it also, it was a mind. reciprocal relationship, and the reason that Forrester did it wasn't out of some like duty of being like, this is this is wrong and this is bad, and we shouldn't let black people be treated like this. He did it because he it was his it friend. Was his friend, yeah, and his friend, he wanted. His friend helped him to become a better person, and he wanted to help his friend to Malcolm become a better person as well. Yeah, and like, and, to- and I think part of that was his whole like, I am dying, and like, obviously Jamal doesn't know that. Yeah, and Forrest is kind of like, like I'm dying, my life is nearly over. Yeah, maybe I can do something to help this kid out because I can see that he's talented. Yeah, and he's not going to kind of fulfill his talents. Mm. If he stays where he is. Yeah. Like he can see that potential and he kind of just, it, he, he's, he starts yeah. off a bit unwilling and then he sort of becomes, gets to the point where he's like, like it's the like, oh, you've come back again. It's like, yeah, well you said like we were going to do stuff. It's like, mm. oh, I thought you meant once. Like, but also Jamal challenges him to overcome his, yeah. his fear. Yeah. Um, and to overcome the fact that he was to an extent just sort of fading out of life. And yeah, and like obviously super depressed and had like yeah was really had was really badly affected by you know his life events and yeah. you know what happened to his brother yeah. and so yeah yeah again important to flag up but I think that this film is yeah maybe like um, one of the smaller misdemeanors in the uh, mm. in in the sort of white savior trope of films. Would you guys like some trivia about Finding Forrester? I love some trivia. Okay, all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb, so if it isn't true, don't blame me. The first bit of trivia, uh, Rob Brown got the role after initially auditioning as an extra. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah, Brown, uh, who of course plays Jamal, had no aspirations of being an actor and was only hoping to make some money to pay his $300 cell phone bill. Uh, That's a hell of a cell phone bill for, like, the 90s. Holy Mm. hell. Uh, Mm. Director Gus Van Sant invited him to audition for the role of Jamal and liked his natural ability. He is very, like, just a very natural actor Mm. on camera. Impressive. Mm. Uh, When Jamal checks out the data on Forrester with the school's computer, uh, the facts he discovers are Sir Sean Connery's real-life data. So that was his birthday. That was all stuff about him growing up in Scotland. These actual like, photographs yeah. and things. Yeah, so ah. that, that was actually just, oh, this is information about Sean Connery <laughs> that you're reading, but yeah. we've just changed the name to William Forrester. Yeah, uh, I'll we, bet he did. Yeah, which <laughs> I think was unavailable is... for comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, during filming, it was discovered that Sir Sean Connery could not type. So whenever you see Forrester's hands on the keys, they're actually somebody else's hands. Wow. It doesn't specify what it means by could not type <laughs> is it just that he couldn't understand the concept was it that his fingers wouldn't <laughs> he did say it? punch the keys a lot punch yeah the keys. <laughs> he's just <laughs> fists and knuckles into it just that's how you get the word gin punch 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 uh, uh maybe we'll get someone else i mean look no. it's not it's, i didn't even notice to be honest i've never noticed which is yeah. more than i can say for the dude who they got to stand in for um buddy um leonardo dicaprio's hands in titanic mm. who's obviously a lot older than him like he's mm. like middle-aged man hands yeah on this like 20 year old dude's body (laughs) which is really awkward and what is that in in titanic in titanic when he's drawing the picture it's somebody else's hands oh right 
Mm-hmm. And if you look at them, they're like I believe, older man hands. I, I'm, I can't. I, I don't seen know. That if, film in a long time. I don't know if this is correct because wow. we have we did that film about three years ago. I have a feeling they were James Cameron's hands. Oh, were they really? I have, I, I have a feeling it might have been him. Okay, I'll, that's I'll have amazing. to double check that. When Forrester arrives to defend Jamal at the Malor Callow School, Dr. Charles Bernstein is present in the background. Um, Dr. Bernstein is a real poet and poetics professor from the State University of New York uh, at Buffalo. Fantastic. Mm. So he thought, was like, can I just have a cameo in this show? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Getting some actual old stuffy professors. That's great. Um, the sketch used to portray a young forester in The New Yorker and on the wall of famous writers at the school I'm that one. Um, yeah, uh, so good. Was obviously based on a young Sean Connery. It's the same picture that was on the desk uh, in a film called Another Time, Another Place, in which Connery was first introduced to a big audience. Really? Interesting. Yeah. So one of his big film breakthroughs in 58, it's it's a drawing that was made, I believe, for that film. And, and they, so they just yeah. put it on the portrait. Wow. Yeah. Which nice. is kind of cool. Yeah, nice cool. touch. Uh, the final bit of trivia I have is a... Another actor who was considered for the role of William Forrester. Okay, now, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, we like what Sean Connery did in this film. I think we're all pretty much in agreement. He was yep. good. So this isn't necessarily about, is this a better actor than, than Sean Connery? Just do you think they could have played the role? Okay. And the actor is Bill Murray. Oh. Yeah, I knew that. I read that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think he would have been too young. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, mm. his face does look a bit like a folded paper bag, even, even when <laughs> yeah. he's younger. I mean, yeah, there is that. But, like, in 2000, like, I think he would have been too young. I think mm. I think it gives it more gravitas and it makes the story more interesting. That's true. Because of the he's, because he's older. Forrester's age. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe they could have just made it Bill Murray's age and it would have just been pictures of him from, like, stars or I forget what films he was in before. How, how old would Bill Murray have been in 2000? Oh, look, I'm not Bill Murray's birth certificate. <laughs> I, I don't know these things. Uh, but we can have a quick we Google. Can, we can Google. Chris, what do you think? Do you yeah, think well, um, when you were saying there was another actor, I was thinking Robin Williams. Well, it's interesting because Gus Van Sant also directed Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting, yeah. Uh, which is obviously Robin Williams playing a very literary figure. Yeah. Um, Again. With, oh, so maybe they wouldn't like have Dead wanted Society. Yeah. double that up. Yeah. But, uh, um, but, but I, I could have seen Robin Williams in this film. Certainly mm-hmm. in the... Um, I think he could have really done a good job with the emotional sort of like panic attack freak out. Yeah, um, I'm not sure about... Yeah, Bill Murray. I mean, I love Bill Murray. True. I love Bill Murray he was, a lot. Sorry, I just looked it up. Bill Murray was born on the 21st of September 1950. So he's 70 at the moment. So he's the age. So if they're remaking, oh. if they're remaking Fighting Forrester, now he could play it, yeah. I think. I love Bill Murray. So he would have been... 50. He would have been 50. Yeah. So. I don't, yeah, I don't think he would have been... I don't think he would have been old enough. Yeah, I think the film works better with... Uh, with a 70-year-old William Definitely. Forrester. Yeah. yeah, I think so. So, before we score the film, uh, Sean Connery. Yeah. It's the reason we're watching this film, because he has passed at the age of 90. Yeah. Obviously, very uh, iconic actor for his uh, portrayal of James Bond. He obviously, he, he made James Bond as the world understands him today, who he was. And obviously, mm. he, he's got that. He's got quite a big film legacy. Um... How, how do you think he's going to be sort of remembered? Is Sean it, is Connery. It, yeah, is it just going to be for the Bonds, do you think? I think it's going to be, it's like we were saying before, he's remembered for his like pop culture-ness, like the Untouchables lines, and he's, like most people don't know this film, mm. which mm. I think is a real shame because it's a really friggin' good film. I can understand why film. people maybe aren't like, you know, like it's not a big action film. It's like a quite a slow unfolding kind of like cerebral drama mm. piece, which is not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. Um, nice change. 
Yeah, it was a nice change from like the very fast paced, like do, 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 kind of editing and, and puntiness of a lot of films nowadays. Yeah, it is the editing, yeah. Yeah, like it was, mm-hmm. it was nice to watch something that was like nice and slow paced and just kind of like unfolding slowly, like a letter that you want to like Not read. Intense cuts. And yeah, and like and, intense uh, music and just yeah. full on and yeah. just, yeah. Bah, which a lot of stuff is. Yeah, yeah I, 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 think, I think a lot of his stuff will be remembered for, it, it'll be the big pop culture thing. So it'll be yeah. things like. Bond. Um, Bond, James Bond, like Indiana Jones, like those big ones, the yeah. Untouchables, obviously. Highlander. Um, yeah. See, I, I have no context for Highlander. The only, the other one that I remembered that I'd watched of his was um, Entrapment, which he was with Catherine Zeta Jones. I believe so. Yeah, and I remember watching that film and just being like, "What?" Because he was like, like, like this, like, like he was like doing his Sean Connery thing and she was like very young and very beautiful and at one point they like roll around on the floor making out with each other and I was like I'm not digging this kind of I'm, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm not seeing the where this relationship came from it just felt very abrupt and a bit weird and they were just like oh the sexual tension I'm like I don't know that it was very okay whatever weird mm. film weird film just her in a cat mm. suit and him being like an older like I'm out of work not doing the like thieving thing or whatever it was. I can't even remember. It was that long ago. It left such a weird thing. Yeah. Mm. I, I think it'll be the pop culture things that he's remembered for. And the accent. The, that very, very distinctive accent that he had. Yeah. Um, I do think it's going to be interesting how Connery is remembered, partly just because I think that the the character he's most remembered for, like that particular portrayal of Bond, yeah, is... Uh, to quote um, a line from The Last Crusade, uh, to slightly mangle it, um, that Bond belongs in a museum, Dad, uh, because his portrayal of um, mm. of, of James uh, is obviously quite um, quite sexist. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously hits women quite a lot in, in those films. Um, mm. And I think it's obviously... It's not as though Sean Connery came in and said, I'm only playing this part if he's this awful person. But... I, obviously, I think if people are maybe not as familiar with his work and they're going back to watch those early Bonds... They might be a bit like, whoa. Yeah, because when we, when we did Goldfinger earlier this year, um, oh, it's it's awful um, <laughs> at certain points. Like, Goldfinger mm. itself is like a really classic 60s spy thriller and it's got some great elements to it, but, but it's got some real uh-oh SpaghettiOs moments where you're just like, why is this happening? This is horrible. But mm. it's obviously reflective of what was happening. a certain time period yeah, at and that time mm. not that everyone was being super misogynistic, and, misogynistic and, <laughs> and that that excuses that behavior in any way but it's more i guess i suppose like an understanding thing and also the fact is is that um you know people have been a little bit vocal after um his death because we're recording this a couple of weeks after he died um about the fact that sean connery himself was uh, was involved in domestic abuse with his first wife and mm. yeah you know had made comments in the 1980s basically along the lines of I don't think it's good to slap a woman but I also don't think that it's bad like he wasn't like a mm. he he didn't ever stand up mm. in a, it, for, he for made Australians the comments in like uh, like the 60s or something or yeah. and then later in that 80s interview with Barbara Walters yeah. was like yeah I have not changed my view and I wouldn't change my view yeah mm. and so it's kind of like okay that's that's not great and his first wife wrote that book um about their relationship um yeah. where yeah essentially her um she was saying that he would 
forbid her from getting roles and forbid her from being an actor and going mm. out and saying, you know, you need yeah, to. And so he wouldn't hire help in the house because he was like, well, no, you need you to stay home and you need to be doing thing. all of yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. So, no. So, yeah, it's kind of like, that's that's not necessarily a, a, a wonderful thing to be doing. I yeah, and I mean, not everybody thing. from that era was necessarily like that and yeah. stayed mm. like that. But, yeah, there's 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 definitely yeah sort of like an element of... Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's what happens, I guess, when you have um, a, a celebrity figure or a pop culture figure who mm. is iconic beyond yeah. what a normal human being, what a human being can be icon- iconized for. Like, it, yeah. It, yeah, when you become an icon and then you find out that, oh, no, they are a human being and they do have faults and they do have opinions which we, uh, which are, you know, we find horrible or which are horrible or, you know, we they are disagreeable in any sort of way. Like yeah. then we go, well, there's that juxtaposition of, is it the art or is it the artist? Um, yeah. And I mean, look, that's a, that's a, that's a whole big debate. It is. And, 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 and we find that with a lot of classic literature, which kind of works well with this film. It's like, you know, you look mm. at somebody like Lovecraft and you're like, wow, okay. That guy was like super racist and like had a lot of like ists mm, that yeah. you could put after him. Yeah. Um, but People are like, you know, we can still engage with art. It's good to be critical about the art that these people mm. were involved in making, especially mm. if they were on like a creative side of thing. Mm. Um, and I know that for some people, they'd be like, you know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch this film. Like there's this whole website dedicated to, okay, I want to be able to find out if this film has somebody in it who has like been like a domestic abuser or yeah. done da 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 da, because that can be really triggering for some mm. people and they're like i don't want to watch anything with like xyz in it or actors who've done blah 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 mm. so mm. yeah 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 i, th- I think it's I, I think it is worth mentioning i know there'll be potentially be some people going oh it has nothing to do with the films that this person was in but mm. for some people it does um and for, i mean for me personally I, i've not i've not really got anyone like like that where there's I don't think there's an actor who I would actively go I am never watching their film again um mm. other, other than perhaps because they're a bad actor like that <laughs> like but for me, for me the, you know those things of like I'm aware of the the things that um Kevin Spacey has been accused of doing and has been proven to have done um and I don't actively go out of my way looking for Kevin Spacey films, but also if it comes on and Kevin Spacey turns up, I'm going to go, oh, that's right. That guy's a jerk. Like that kind of thing. But yeah. but it's not necessarily going to curtail my own watching of a film. Mm. But I also think it's, yeah, it's, it's important to kind of remember, particularly, I think particularly when we're looking at the memorials to people as well. Yeah. Because there'll be people out there who are saying it's not appropriate to discuss things from people's personal lives when you're mem- memorizing them. We should remember them for the work. And that's a valid viewpoint for people to have. But it's not one that I necessarily agree with. Well, um, look, I think as well, like, we, we, you know, we've done a lot of talking about this film and the fact that, you know, he's a, he was a really great actor and he's done an amazing job in this film. Mm. Like, honestly, I think it's one of my favorite roles of his. I think he does an awesome job with it. Mm. And you can go, he was an awesome actor and he did this great thing. Maybe he was a bit of a piece of shit in his personal life. Mm. But those two views can also coincide and you can still watch a mm. film and still kind of be like, I've, I've enjoyed this performance. I acknowledge the fact that, you know, 
as a person maybe wasn't super great. Yeah. I think you can have those two things kind of coexisting at the same time. Yeah. Mm. I think it's important to be aware of it and be like, you know, critical of things as yeah. well. But yeah, I think, I think you can. Is there, yeah. is there a favorite Sean Connery role that you have, Chris? Is, is there one role that stands out for you for, for him? Well, uh, not particularly because I don't have many roles of his to draw on that <laughs> are huge in my mind. Uh, obviously. Yeah, no, uh, I would say this is, probably the best bit of acting that I've seen him do in yeah. terms of getting his chops out and doing a serious role that had subtlety and nuance and was a good film. Mm. Uh, so it's early days, but yeah, I would say probably okay. this film. Alan? Yeah, I probably enjoy him in this the most. Mm. I think he's done some other really good stuff. Yeah, when, when I think about but... it, I'm not, I've watched most of the James Bonds, but I'm not like a James Bond fan like i'm not like a super mm. fan where i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna watch never say never again or whatever like it's like let's let's go for it um his bond is pretty iconic but i i do think that finding forrester is one of his more outstanding roles um i, I also think as schlocky as it is highlander is one that is actually oh. pretty iconic maybe for the wrong reasons but <laughs> yeah but uh yeah the nap no haven't seen it is amazing uh and of course his his famous costume from zardoz which um for, I, what is that i'm gonna that. i'm gonna show it you now uh, but for those of you listening at home just google it and if you see sean connery wearing a red leather bandolier <laughs> underpants and not much else <laughs> all right yeah google it google it yeah it's very good it's it's you can tell he was a mr universe yeah dude yes. is fit yeah dude's in good shape dude is in good shape even in uh his his sort of um twilight years yes i wouldn't say zardoz is his twilight years but uh well, it wasn't this yeah he's um it, it's a look isn't it chris mm, yeah. it's <laughs> you know uh, it's uh he was he was ahead of his time in his fashion choice. in so many ways <laughs> uh so all that and remains no. for us to do is to score the film. And Chris, you get to go first because this was your first time watching Finding Forrester. What would you give it out of 10? All right, out of 10, I would give it... Seven basketballs out of 10 salty professors. Mm. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty enjoyable. Pretty pretty fun Yeah, film. It, it, was, it was a good film. Um... I I always feel like I'm on the back foot when I'm scoring a film that I've seen for the first time because I like to have a bit of time to ruminate on a thing mm. and uh, see how much it reoccurs to me over the next uh, mm. bit of time. And then, it's yeah. the philosopher in you, thing. yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, I'm not following you around with a microphone for four days until you can make up I can have mind. a dictaphone. I'll just send in my uh, excerpts of All right, well, yeah. post-reflection. Tell you what, if you think you not have a yeah. smartphone, you can just record it on like a recording app. Uh, yeah, but philosopher. It has to be old. Of course, it has, has to, to be, be on a dictaphone. dictaphone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, um, what about yourself, Ellen? Mm. Uh, what, what would you give this out of 10? I'm going to give it nine suit questions out of 10. Look, I really enjoyed this film the first time I watched it. I still enjoy it. It's just a really friggin' good film. It's really well put together. I love the whole kit and caboodle. I don't know that it's like a perfect film, but it's pretty friggin' close for me. Uh, yeah, nine, yeah. nine soup questions. Yeah, out of ten. I hope uh, you weren't going to use soup questions. Uh, I was considering it, but I've got something else. All good. Um, yeah. No. Look, I I think this is a really it's an enjoyable film. I think it's a it's certainly a well made film. Um, I don't know. It's a film for everyone. Not no film is for everyone. I guess. But no. but I, I think that this film. As much as the three of us have all really enjoyed it, um, I 
could quite easily imagine uh, three other random people in the world sitting down watching this and, and being going, like, this was crap. Yeah, but I, I think from that, that kind of like category of films like Goodwill Hunting or um, the one where they all stand on the desks. With Dead Poets Society. Dead Poets Society, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, like those sort of films that are about schooling and um, words and the history literature. of words and literature. Mm. Um, I feel like this is actually a really good film from that that genre mm. from that subgenre. Mm. i think it's um i think it's very good and it's very accessible um so i'm going to give it seven and a half giant letter opening knives out of ten because <laughs> how nice was that prop it is wonderful knife oh it's so pretty it is but it's just it's a big knife it i was is. half expecting crocodile dundee to walk in and going oh, you call that a call, oh, no, that, a knife. Would call that a knife <laughs> oh that, that is that is a good knife actually yeah. yeah that is a good knife yeah no it's it's a real beaut um so that brings us to the end of this episode of the cinema catch-up club chris and ellen thank you so much for joining me and watching finding forrester thank you for having me thank you for having me Stephen. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Hey, not many episodes left in the year because 2020 is due to finish shortly. Uh, Christmas is coming. We are doing Christmas films. Uh, Doing two, as always. We know what one of them is. And if you want to find out what it is, then you need to subscribe, baby. You need to be subscribing. So that episode pops up just before Christmas. Little present from us to you. Um, you can subscribe by finding us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all the usual places. And there's a fresh episodes each and every week. But, you know, Christmas is coming and it's always fun looking at the Christmas The films. goose is getting fat. Yes, yes the yes, goose yes. is getting fat. Mm-hmm. Um, we are also available on Facebook. Uh, we can be found there and you can leave us messages, comments. Uh, you can vote on polls. Uh, you can vote for films that are coming up and things like that. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club on Facebook. Give us a like, give us a follow, and uh, you'll be able to see all our exploits. And, of course, there is our Patreon, uh, which can be your gift to us, maybe, for Christmas <laughs> coming up. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can join up, get all sorts of bonus features and goodies, little offcuts here in there that the regular feed doesn't get early access to things it's full of good stuff uh, so if you want to um break into our apartment metaphorically speaking <laughs> and get some tuition from us again metaphorically speaking uh go to patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast and join up there but that is all for this week so until next time punch those keys you're the man now dog punch the damn keys You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.